The Dad Presents, Episode 42, Weeding People Out. Smoke weed every day. It all starts right now. There's a website now where, where uh, women are marrying themselves. So, you know, why the hell not? Mm, I'd like to see that honeymoon. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to The Dad Presents, episode number 42. This is B. I'm joined by my good friend, Jay Maddie. What's going on, B? How you doing? Man, everything is wonderful. A very awesome, what is this, Tuesday? No, Monday night. Got Monday football night. games on, football's back, everybody loves it. Dog is not with us today. He's out doing doggy type stuff. We miss him. Miss you. Do you doggy. have any words for dog there, Jay Matty? Mm, just keep mourning those Raiders or come over to the other side. <laughs> He's never going to do that. Ah, so what's going on, Jay Matty? I want to hear what's happening in your neck of the woods. Well, you know, the kids are back to school a couple weeks now. And, um, you know, I, my boy, I taught my oldest long division and multiplication in the first grade, maybe even kindergarten, young, you know, because he's, he's a super smart kid. He's got good genetics, right? Send the kid sure. off to school with all the tools he needed. And now he's in fourth grade. He's gotten straight A's the whole way. And I haven't kept up a ton with his homework. And uh. the other night, you know, we started giving them allowance. But part of the allowance is he has to figure out how much allowance he gets by multiplying the number of chores by the amount he gets paid and, and, and whatnot. And he mm-hmm. couldn't solve the simple basic problem of like 19 times 50 cents. And when I watched him do it, it was because he was doing this fancy common core stuff. Now, oh, fuck that. Not, you know, I'm an I'm a, I'm a advocate of common core, but, you know, like teaching a kid common core before you teach him basic math skills, it's like, it's like teaching a kid to do a 360 slam dunk before he can, you know, dribble down the court. Like, you got to give the kid the fundamentals first. And I don't know what they teach your kid at that fancy prep school she goes to. Oh, Jesus. It's not a fancy um, prep school. Well, yeah, I mean, right? (laughs) Am I lying? (laughs) But uh, they... No, it's not fancy. It's a public school. It's not a public school. It is a public school. Well, how come my kid can't get in there? Well, that's for behavioral reasons, probably. (laughs) Okay. No, but parents, I mean, do they teach likely. her the, the common core or do they teach her? Yeah, the common core math. They don't do math the way we did math. It's frustrating. Yeah, I had to deal with that. It seems like earlier on than this, but it seems like since she's been about the third grade, things have been pretty standard, but the early part of math was not fun. Yeah, and I'm not against the common core. Like, it makes sense. It's like a cheat code. You know, it's like mm-hmm. if you find, you find the, it's like finding the common basic denominator and then clipping off the remainders, multiply by a bigger number, then subtract out the remainders. Like, it makes sense. It's a way to do it in your head. But teach them how to write out the problem long ways. You know, give them the steps. I don't know. It's frustrating. Anyway, how how are you doing? How are you and the family? Man, everybody's good. Um, Good. Came across a couple of little things, and I I saved them for the show because, uh, you know, you, you go through life and you go to different events and you try to pick out things and see, you know, how people will react. Um, we put her, we're in the process of putting her in a dance class. Okay. So once a week, you know, a good exercise, she likes the hip hop dance. She's going to do a little hip hop, a little jazz, you know, you know, relate to her ethnic side. Hopefully she gets my (laughs) rhythm. Her mother doesn't have much rhythm, but whatever. 
So oh, at the does. class, there's. So you think she has rhythm? No, I said, and Daddy does. Daddy's got the rhythm. Oh, Daddy does have, of course. Daddy's got all the rhythm in the family. <laughs> okay, so I'm, we're going to work on that. We got to make sure she's getting what she needs to get to. But right at on. the class, there's triplets. Okay, triplets. So I start wondering, you know, as I often do, mm-hmm. if you go to a triplets birthday party, do you have to buy three fucking gifts, or can you well, just buy them one T-shirt and just say rotate it? No, I mean. These are kids, right? These these are kids your daughter's age. You got to buy three yeah. gifts, man. You got to suck it up. You got to bite the bullet. I mean, that's, that's fucking expensive. You, I mean, well, that's not just. I mean, what I would do is I'd probably like name a tree after three of them or something. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you're you're preaching to the choir. I'm so tired of my weekends being consumed by birthday parties for kids that my kids don't even really hang out with. It's just like mm-hmm. every kid has a party and they invite every kid in the school. I, I shouldn't say I'm tired of it because I don't go anymore. I'm like, you know, if you want to take the kids to another birthday party, go ahead. But if it's not like one of their core friends, I don't take them anymore. But yeah, I feel your pain on that. It, it's, it's silly. Like having a kid is expensive enough as it is, but now you got to support yeah. every other kid in that school with t- like 26 birthday gifts a year. No, it's ridiculous. And actually, that's a good philosophy. You got to pick out your kids' inner circle and then figure out if they're important enough to give a gift to. Those other kids can bite it. Important enough to get a gift to and also important enough to to take your personal time on the weekend. That's, yeah. That's more valuable than the $26 gift I'm getting at Target is my my time. Yeah, no, you're right. I got to start weeding these people out, just like picking them off one by one. But. The second thing I came across, and this happens as I drive to school, I drop her off, pick her up, whatever. Okay. So, some parents, <laughs> and I'm getting in trouble because some people listen to this podcast. Some parents maybe need to little, be a little bit more choosy about what they wear to school. I'm just thinking there's a lot of skin. And I understand people work out. I've, as a matter of fact, I did it the other day. I wore my workout clothes to school. Had, had brought out the guns. The guns were showing. I oiled them up. You know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But people are going beyond a little bit. There's the midriff. There's a lot of back. Um, there's one one time it got so bad. There was a lady who wore these short shorts and very visibly had no underwear on. Under, uh, under was that. it those booty shorts where you can see the, the the bottom half of the bum bum? Oh, it was it was so much more than the bottom half. I, lo- I love but, those. I don't know why uh, <laughs> that's so much sexier than just a girl in a in a in a bikini cuz like because she's it's wearing shorts you. but they don't cover the whole butt so you feel like you're seeing yeah. something you're not supposed to it's kind of dirty yeah it's 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 naughty and it's it's taboo and it's, mm-hmm. it's she's teasing you and she's hiding it in a yeah. little bit mm-hmm. and, but you know what's in there and that's the frustrating part but this lady there's one lady actually stopped me to point at this lady and she says does that do anything for you like she's upset with this parent obviously but what is the if there is a code of ethics or maybe we can create one on this show what can you wear to school as a parent to pick up your kids, drop them off, and still be appropriate where you don't end anyone else's marriage? Just hmm. throwing it out there. Well, are you are, are you worrying about ending other people's marriages, or are you worried about what the kids are being exposed to? Wait, what, what's well, your goal here? I think, you see, I think the kids are numb. I think they okay. they are off on their other their, well, another then it, planet, then it's just basically. Like, it's just like a tire anywhere else you go. I mean... 
look, man, this is California. It's beautiful out. Everybody's beautiful. Everybody's sexy and in shape. You know, let the let yeah. the, the ladies work hard for their bodies. Let them flaunt it. I don't care what they wear. I don't. I don't care what yeah. they wear. Um, my thing is, if you're going to dress like I'll go to the gym and girls wear those booty shorts, and mm. then they will wear like just a bra, basically just a bra. Um, and you, you know, you see way more than you should, especially when they're, they start sure. doing squats or whatever. Just yeah. if, if that's how you're going to dress, just don't get upset and start on that. You know, my eyes are up here kind of stuff and feel all disrespected when people are checking you out. I mean, you're putting yourself on display. People are going to look yeah. at you. That's my only thing. Don't be a hypocrite. If you want to dress like that, more power to you. That's, you know, that's, that's your right. But, but don't be a hypocrite about it. Don't judge people yeah. when they start looking at you. I mean, you're, 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 you're showing us what you got. We're going to check it out. Sure, but that's at the gym. Should you be st- st- kind of having that same attitude at school to where it's like, no. okay, you're showing it to me. I'm going to look. And, oh, by the way, Jimmy, don't forget your homework. Like, No, I don't, I, don't, I, no. <laughs> I don't think you should. But you said your concern is ending marriages. I'm saying ending if marriage. your concern is for the kids, yeah, I don't think it's appropriate for, the, for doing that around the kids, especially like yeah. as they're young boys coming up on, on puberty age. You know what I mean? Like, it, I don't think that's... That's the best way to be dressing, but you know what? What are you going to do? It's a we're we're all grown ups. People got to make their own decisions. You can't start throwing rules out there and telling people how to dress. I guess not. Damn it. Well, anyway, I'm just concerned I might have a boner in front of like one of the teachers or something. I don't know. Well, probably wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> You're right. Um, okay, we got that out the way. Let's move on to my favorite part of the show. It's parenting questions, questions, there, Jay Maddie. All right, yeah, yeah. All right, so we're just going to cut it short. We're going to do just one today because y- you didn't tell the people. We got Dr. Bonnie Goldstein coming in. She's a, she is a marijuana doctor, and she's fabulous. Yes. I had a great conversation with her. She's, she's brilliant. She's got a book out there she'll tell you about, and uh, we're going to get into that pretty quick. So one question today. We got a mm-hmm. question from Tom. Tom's in Indiana. Yeah, Indiana. He says, he says as parents... How do you guys feel about free college? Free college. You know, side note, the Ku Klux Klan was founded in Indiana. Did you know that? I did not. Okay. Well, Tom, is that, that's his name, right, Tom? Yes. Okay, Tom, just a little point of interest. We educate on this show as well. Uh, move immediately. Just kidding. Um, free college is great in principle, but is it real? That's, that's the thing. Shit. If money's falling from the sky and, you know, it's free education, shit, give me some of that free health care, too, while you're at it. But is it real? And I know Bernie Sanders talked a lot about free college and everyone else talked about free college. I haven't seen anything to where you believe it or I believe it to be true. It, It involves a lot of people giving up a lot of money, and that typically doesn't go over very well. No. So, yeah, I'm shit. I'm in favor of free college, but... In this day and age, the times we live in, a capitalist society, whatever, I don't know how realistic that is. It's just too much money to be made. When you look at these schools and their, you know, their athletic programs are raking in close to billions of dollars and all this other stuff, it's 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 a money making institution. So I just don't know how real it is. Right. Go absolutely. ahead, there, Jay Maddie. It's not free. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. You. I mean, B. You're mm-hmm. absolutely right. Look, free free always gets points in politics. Bernie Sanders, I like a lot of what the guy says, um, but it's just not free. It's not, it's not, nothing's, there's, 
you know, the saying, there's no free lunch. There's no, there's no fucking free lunch. There's no free college. We pay for it. You're going to pay for sure. it in taxes. Um, if, if you don't have kids, you're still going to pay for it in taxes. You're also going to pay for it by um, higher inflation. Your money's going to mm-hmm. go less far to buy things because it's going to put the country into greater debt. It's, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. If you want, I, and I understand the concern, college costs way too much, and it burns my ass. I mean, I, everybody knows I've complained about it a thousand times on this show. I didn't pay off my college loans until last year. But the way to fix that is not to make college free, because then all, all that's going to happen is we're paying for it in other ways. What you do is the government needs to get out of the lending mm-hmm. business. College was affordable in the 70s and 80s. You didn't have these ridiculous prices. They didn't become ridiculous until the government decided they would give a loan to anyone who wanted to go to school. And not only do they decide they will give a loan to anyone, but those loans are federally guaranteed, meaning if you file for bankruptcy, you can file for bankruptcy on everything in your life except those student loans. So essentially, it's just an, it's, it's a cloak and dagger way of keeping people enslaved. You're 18 years old. You don't know a fucking thing about the world, and you're going to sign a piece of paper that gives you $200,000 worth of debt. As a child, you're a child, and you're making that agreement that you're going you're gonna to pay this university $200,000. And in the end, you end up paying them double that because of interest, and then they get you to refinance this, that, and the other thing. It's criminal. Now, if the government gets out of the lending business, that's the only reason these prices have escalated is because... They're backed by the government. Get the government out of it. Prices come back down to earth. These, these institutions are just ripping people off. I think the standard uh, brick-and-mortar college is going to be soon a thing of the past. Not a thing of the past in that it's going to disappear. I mean, you're going to have some professions like doctor, lawyer, where, where you need to go and study and spend five, six, seven years there doing it. But for most people, I think there's better ways to learn nowadays with the internet. Um, yeah, I mean, you have, you have all the information in the world at your fingertips on your phone. You know, there's, there's got to be other ways to learn how to do something and then get certified as being an expert in that field from, from learning without actually having to go to some school and sell your soul to them. Yeah, and I mean, as time goes on, and we've talked about this before, isn't the college whole college thing kind of losing its value? You got, you got, uh, you know, the the Silicon Beach people, the, the the tech people dropping out of school and becoming multi billionaires, and then you got uh, what is it, Aunt Becky from Full House paying for her kid to go to USC. Right. I mean, is it is valued as it once was? Do you need it? Right. No. Eh, no. Yeah. Man. At my business, I'm, I'm, we're, we're growing, so we're interviewing people every day. Mm-hmm. Every time we interview, we bring in kids with liberal arts degrees, bachelors and women's studies, like all these, all these degrees. They will have gone to USC. Um, they're hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, and they don't have a job. Mm-hmm. And they're applying for my job, which is going to pay $16 an hour. Wow. So, yeah, they're not... Going to college used to give you an advantage. Um, that's not necessarily the case. I mean, if if you if you know exactly what you want to do, and to do that thing, you need a degree. Then go to college. Mm-hmm. But kids today going to school for liberal arts, uh, female studies, uh, 
communications. Just just do yourself a favor. Take a pile of money and burn it, and then <laughs> go get a job. You know, cut cut to the chase. Giving you the best parenting advice at its finest here on the Dad Presents. <laughs> go burn a pile of money. Don't send your kids to school. Um, Jay Maddie, are you ready to hip these people, get these people ready for your interview? Let's do it. All right. Well, All right. as Jay Maddie mentioned, he talked to Dr. Bonnie Goldstein. She is the weed doctor. And, and, and it's a great interview, folks. Here it goes. Okay, Dad Heads. Uh, tonight, we got a, a guest I know you're really going to enjoy. I know a lot of you out there really enjoy the recreational marijuana. I also know a lot of you have concerns for your children with this new legalization process. Uh, we have with us Dr. Bonnie Goldstein. She's, uh, she's a doctor, and she's devoted her career to medical marijuana and children. How's it going, doctor? It's going okay, thanks. Good, good. So t- tell us about your practice. Tell us how you made the, the decision to get into medical marijuana and how you're feeling about that. Well, so right now I have a practice that's called Canna Centers. It's located in Los Angeles. I started off many years ago as a pediatrician and then went into the um, subspecialty of pediatric emergency medicine, which um, I mostly worked in very busy um, inner city hospitals. So I did that for about 13 years. And then after having my own child, I got a little burned out and I ended Hmm. up Um, as you can imagine, right, working a lot of graveyard shifts, a lot of long shifts and very, you know, challenging kind of work. Sure. Um, But I loved it for a long time. But I just got a little, you know, burned out trying to be mom and trying to be doctor and trying to figure out what was going to give. And so I ended up taking a little time off. And during that time, a friend of mine who was sick asked me about medical cannabis. I didn't know anything. Um, and I thought, gee, you know, maybe this is a chance for me to look into this for her. So, and I get, uh, you know, bottom line, I'm, I'm a science geek, always have been. So I started looking into the scientific literature and I just couldn't believe what I was reading. There was n- no education at all in medical school residency. Um, really, unless you seek it out, you're not going to come across it as a physician. Right. Um, yeah. Because we're taught cannabis is a drug of abuse. And although well, it's schedule be, one, right? It's not it's yeah, not even just exactly. a drug of abuse. It's like in the worst. It's it's in there in a category with heroin on a national level. That's exactly right. And so doctors tend to be nervous about anything that might affect their livelihood. So you just stay away from it. But, you know, my friend was pretty sick. She had cancer. She was just trying to get through the day. You know, mm-hmm. um, and so I did the research for her and I thought, you know what, there's something to this. And I explored it a little bit more and it, I kind of kept, you know, going back to the science of it. And I ended up working part time in a um, very nice professional medical cannabis practice in Long Beach. And I just, you know, after a few months, I just fell in love with the practice. I fell in love uh, with the type of practice. It was very rewarding. I was getting people off opiates and off sleep right. medication. Yeah, I want to talk to you about that. Yeah. Yeah. And getting them off of antidepressants and, you know, all kinds of things. And, you know, it's an interesting thing. What I noticed, you know, and and in order to be a good pediatrician, you really have to listen to what parents are telling you because most children can't express, you know, how they feel. Um, Obviously, many of the pediatric patients you see aren't talking. So 
you have to really listen to the parents and listen in for clues. And it really teaches you to be a good clinician that listens. And so, you know, having that history and then listening to the patients that came in. And when I first started doing this, this is all adult patients. Mm-hmm. I started listening to what they were saying and they were all saying the same thing. This is helping me. I'm sleeping better. I'm a better spouse. I'm yeah. a better parent. I'm a better worker. I don't feel groggy. I'm not having That's the one effect. that will surprise you too, the, the, the better parent. Um, I, I've found that. And it, it's a weird thing to say. I, I take a little drugs and I'm, I'm a better parent. But it, what marijuana does to you is it, is it, it helps you to, I, I feel, be more empathetic and feel how you're coming across to other people and how your children view you through their eyes. So you connect with them a little more. I've had many parents say to me, I'm not an ogre anymore at the end of the day. I come home and I can take a little medicine. Look, they're not getting, you know, rip, ripped like, you know, you did in college. You've right. got, still got responsibilities and you're just trying to take the edge off. Yeah, and yeah. Rather than having a cocktail or a Xanax, patients are reporting, gee, you know, I take a little bit and I... I'm kinder, I'm gentler, I'm nicer, mm-hmm. I'm... Um, well, the old stereotype yeah. of the, the stoner, you know, the, the dude who lays on his couch, hey, man, what's up, bro? Right. You know, watching, <laughs> watching movies all day and just ripping bong hits. I mean, that's a stereotype like, like any other thing. But there's so many people, especially out here in California, I know who, who use on a very regular basis in moderation. Like, you know, the end of the right. day, like a glass of wine or... Sure. You know, or people like myself, okay? Uh, now, uh, let me rewind. I loved marijuana in college and in my 20s. You know, it, it was fun. I, I did it because it was fun. And then I came out to California, and you hear pot doctor. Now, the first thing you think when you, you hear marijuana doctors, you think of some, some hippie in sandals with long hair, you know, and just writing these prescriptions down in Venice Beach and handing them out to anybody. And I guess there was a little bit of that in the late 90s and early 2000s. But then there's this whole other side to it. People like you who, I mean, you work primarily with children and you're helping people with real problems who can't get help anyway else. Like it's providing miracles for some kids' lives, like with the epilepsy and sure. um, all kinds of problems that other drugs haven't been able to touch. So there's a whole other side, like uh, much of the country where it's not legal, they, they hear marijuana doctor. And I know they get this image in their head because I come from that part of the country, but that's not what it is. Um, now, talking about the, the, you mentioned helping people with opiate addiction. I broke my neck sometime in like, uh, I don't know, the late 90s or early 2000s. I had, and I have like three plates in my neck. I've had a lot of surgeries, a lot of spine surgeries, a lot of shoulder surgeries, and I got on the opiates back in the late 90s for a solid decade before anyone was saying anything about how these might be dangerous or addictive. And marijuana just really helped, helped me stop using that stuff. I mean, it was, it was a tremendous help. And I, I think that alone, like you, you hear marijuana being talked about nowadays because it's so new. It gets talked about as kind of a cure-all. And it, it's not, but there are some things that it truly does help. And with the amount of problems we have in this country with, with opiate addiction, that's something that really needs to be talked about with government, with, with doctors everywhere. Absolutely. And so, you know, underlying all of this 
is a system in our body called the endocannabinoid system. And this is what I tell people. You know, I joke around, this is not a religion. You don't have to believe in marijuana or believe in cannabis. There's no belief, okay? Belief is not part of it. It's not a religion. It's not a thought process. This is basic science, just the same way we all know if you eat a Snickers bar, your insulin is going to kick out if you make insulin, right? And uh, if your pancreas is working, you make proper insulin and you bring your sugar from 600 down to where it should be around 80, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So if you don't make insulin, right, your pancreas, let's say your pancreas got sick and you don't make insulin, you have to take an external source of insulin. So I use that analogy to explain the endocannabinoid system. We make inner cannabis. We make our own compounds in our brain and in our body that look like the compounds that are in the cannabis plant. Why do we make them? We make them to maintain what we call homeostasis. So for instance, any external environmental trigger like illness, infection, inflammation will trigger your body to make certain cells to make your endocannabinoids. Endo comes from the Greek from within, cannabinoid, like cannabis, right? Endocannabinoid. And you make it on demand when you need it in order to tell your cells to send a balanced message. So I'll give you a really good example. When a football player takes a hit to the brain, what happens is their endocannabinoid system kicks in to send out the signal to prevent inflammation and injury of brain cells. Okay? Okay. And so we have this system, the endocannabinoid system, to exist to help, it's a protective physiologic mechanism. Just the same way if I eat a Snickers bar and my sugar goes high, my body doesn't leave it there. My body kicks out insulin to bring the sugar back into balance. Right. Well, your brain and your body kick out endocannabinoids, your inner cannabis, to bring the messages into balance anytime there's kind of an alert signal. And if you look at where the, the endocannabinoid system is is located, it's all over. That's why people who have nausea get well and also people that have pain in their ankle can find relief. How is it possible that nausea and pain can be treated with the same compounds? Well, because the endocannabinoid system is is a physiologic underlying system that exists everywhere where your what we call your cannabinoid receptors are located and they're very dense in the brain where we perceive pain and hunger and anxiety and depression and also they're very densely um, populated in our immune system because remember your immune system is so important for anything that kind of comes at you right? Inflammation and immunity are all linked together. Mm-hmm. And the system exists to basically tell your cells, stop sending the wrong message, send the right message, which is balance. So another great example, is somebody gets chemotherapy, they have nausea and vomiting, they take a puff off a THC um, joint. And how is it possible that the nausea stops within five minutes and they're eating a sandwich, right? Well, because the THC binds to those receptors and tells the body to stop feeling the sensation of nausea. Hmm. And really well, what's supposed let me, to happen... Let me ask you this. That, that, makes, that makes sense. I understand that with the receptors. 
But how is that much different? I mean, the body also has opiate receptors everywhere. So That's right. And we have opiate receptors because not for Vicodin and for other opiates that you take as a pill form. We have opioid receptors for what we call the endorphins, right? Your feel-good, runner's-high kind of chemical. Okay. So we make those. That's just another physiologic system that your body kicks out endorphins to kind of give you happiness and to kind of give you this balance. Remember, all of these systems exist. Now, remember, a pharmaceutical company... So you're saying with the opioids, they're, they're, they're synthetically feeding That's those receptors. Exactly right. Okay. They build, remember the way you should think about a receptor, it's a lock on a cell. Mm-hmm. And every lock that we make, every receptor we have, we make the key. So we have serotonin receptors because we make serotonin. We have dopamine receptors because we make dopamine. We have opioid receptors because we make endorphins. We have endocannab we have cannabinoid receptors because we make endocannabinoids. So opi- remember, opiates yeah. are essentially synthetic um it's a synthetic key. It's a synthetic just a synthetic endorphin. key. And the pharmaceutical companies, if they can figure out the structure of the receptor, which is well-defined now with the science that we have, they can build a key to match it. That's all it is. And haven't they kind of done that with some of these uh, fake marijuanas that you, you see That's at exactly gas stations? Right. And, the and they're dangerous, right? Yep, that we call um, like spice or K2. Mm-hmm. The problem with those keys, synthetic keys for the endo, for the cannabinoid receptor, is that there's something called binding affinity, like how tightly the key sticks onto the lock. And the problem with those is that they stick on very strongly. And that's why they escalate. It's like if you, you know, smoke a lot of pot and you can get paranoid and anxious, but multiply that times 10. And that's what those synthetic um, THC compounds do. And the reason those synthetic THC compounds even exist is because of the Schedule One status. If I want to study right. THC in a laboratory, I can't. So what do I you do? You have to change the property of it. I I have my grad student whip up some, mm-hmm. right? Because if you know what you're doing, it's just carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen atoms in the right structure, and you can make, quote, the key, the synthetic key to fit that receptor. And those compounds are quite dangerous because they can escalate you know, the effects of the cannabinoid receptor. And because those receptors are located in the part of your brain that control cognition and emotion and lots of other things, you know, that's something that I would not recommend to anybody. Mother Nature makes the key that works beautifully for those receptors. Yeah. So, I mean, so often, not to, not to take a left turn or a political turn, but so often when our government thinks they're doing something to protect us, or I don't even know if they think they're protecting us, but they're, they're doing, that's the message they're delivering to us. They think they're protecting us. They, they do harm. They do harm by, they create an illegal market um, where people get hurt. People get hurt by these synthetic drugs. People get hurt by the gangbangers uh, bringing drugs across illegally instead of just having a, you know, being able to go into the 7-Eleven across the street or your pharmacy at, at the hospital. It, it creates a, right. a bad system. And not only that harm, but the harm of me as a physician who needs more research to know who qual- who should I give cannabis to, right? right? Who might benefit from CBD? Now, look, I've been in this field now 11 years, and I have a lot of experience, but it would be nice to have that research, and we have been for 80-plus years now unable to do research. Luckily, they allow research in other countries, so Canada, mm-hmm. Great Britain, Israel, 
Right. Um, Italy. But we should be a lot further ahead by now. And it's not just marijuana. It's with uh, mushrooms as well and and other natural products that they're they're finding that could be a lot of medical benefits, but the scientists and doctors have not been able to do the experiments. That's a problem. And not because they don't want to, but because they're prohibited from doing so. Right. Now, let me ask you a a personal question because we were just talking about opiates. Now, I have a lot of chronic pain, and the the marijuana helped me get off the opiates, not by replacing them, but I, I tried to quit several times, and it was a problem because my body, my body physically needed them. Um, I would get I would get very depressed, I would get sick, and marijuana helped me get over the hump with that. You know, after like a month, sure. then then my my body got past it. Um, but marijuana has never helped my pain, um, and I know a lot of people use it specifically for that reason. And I, I just want to know, you've, you've seen a lot of people, have you ever heard anyone else claim this? When, when I take it, it almost, for me, makes me like more self-aware of my pain and more sensitive to right. the pain. Is that a normal sure. thing? It is a normal thing. So, but, but this is the other thing is that cannabis, marijuana, whatever term you want to use is no longer one thing. Mm-hmm. We've got what I call THC-rich cannabis. We have CBD-rich cannabis. We have combination CBD and THC-rich cannabis. We have something called CBG, cannabigerol. Works great for pain. We have the raw cannabinoids called THCA and CBDA, the A designating that it's in the raw form. So what I say to somebody like you is that you have probably not sat down with a doctor to figure out somebody who knows about cannabis to figure out exactly what might help you for your pain. THC does not always help pain. In fact, sometimes if you get intoxicated, what ends up happening is it increases the sensation or the perception of pain. Many people who use THC only tell me, you know, doc, it doesn't really take care of the pain. It just kind of distracts me from it. Well, That's because they're using likely THC-rich only. Hmm. We know that these compounds work better when they're together. So there have been studies done that show that CBD by itself may not treat pain. THC by itself may not treat pain. But the combination works very beautifully for pain for many people. So, again, going back to what what you're taking, if you're taking something that's just THC-rich and is not robust in the other cannabinoids, you may be missing out on what might be helping you. And that's a big problem with patients going into, like, not people, but the word patients. Mm -hmm. People walking into a dispensary that's recreational and going to the person behind the counter. And saying, what's good for pain? (laughs) Well, zero healthcare information at all. Zero. They were working last week at a different store selling a different product, but they have zero healthcare experience. Right. And somebody with real pain saying, well, what should I take? And they say, oh, try this or, oh, try that. That's well, not what I would call medical cannabis. Yeah, so, you just perfectly yeah. described what I've, what I've done, actually. Well, there you go. That's the easiest so, way to do it, right? Yeah, meeting with somebody who understands the endocannabinoid system, how pain actually works in the body because not all pain is the same, right? Mm -hmm. Um, What kind of pain is it? Is it neuropathy, nerve pain? Is it inflammatory pain? You need to dial it in better. So what I tell people is, you know, obviously, if you've had some benefit from cannabis, you're a responder, but now you have to tweak it. You have to dial it in 
to try to figure out what would work best for your particular circumstances. And something that's very important that people need to understand is I could line up 10 people with PTSD or 10 people with arthritis or 10 children with epilepsy, like let's say the same kind of epilepsy, and they're all going to have a different response. Why? Because their endocannabinoid system is genetically coded, it's unique to them, and the way they interact with cannabinoids is unique to them. So, you know, some people say, oh, I like CBD, oh, I like THC, oh, I hate THC, I only want CBD, I only want combination, I only want the raw cannabinoids, I want to smoke it, I want to use mm-hmm. it topically. How do you, there's so many choices, how do you- There are so many choices. It? And ta- right. talking about all the choices, um, I find this interesting. So, you know, a lot of, marijuana, if, if you're my age or older, you grew up with it, it had a stigma, right? It was, it was a drug. It had a stigma. Young kids growing up today, it doesn't have that same stigma. But people my age, I have a lot of friends who are 40-some years old, and now they're just now starting to, to um, test the waters there. But most people, when you're that old and you're going to test it, smoking it sounds more druggy than taking and eating a, a, a cute little cookie, right? So, Absolutely. So they all want to... Yeah, they all want to do that. They all want to start with the cookie. But what people don't realize is that when you, when you eat the cookie, your liver metabolizes the THC and makes it into something even more powerful than smoking it. And also when you eat the cookie, you don't, the, the industry is so not regulated. You might be taking in five milligrams. You might be taking in 50 milligrams. And then the third thing is you take the cookie, it doesn't kick in right away. So then you take That's another exactly cookie. Exactly right. And I think... I think the lack of knowledge and the lack of education with that part of it, a lot of people have a very bad experience with it, and, and that's it. They're done. That's exactly 100% what happens is that if you don't know what you're doing, you can really mess it up for yourself. So one of the ways that I recommend newbies, people new, new or inexperienced to use cannabis, is to use tinctures, which basically is a fancy word for a little liquid in a bottle. So that you can start with drops under your tongue and titrate up and Mm -hmm. find your dose. And really what it is is about knowing that, you know, we have a saying in the industry, start low and go slow. It's not about getting immediate relief. It's about making sure that you figure out what every dose does for you. So you start low, you titrate up, and you... Um, take time to figure out. I've had patients come in who say, I'm so desperate, I just need help. And then they ignore my advice and they go exactly and do what you just said, which is they overdose on an edible, which can be extremely uncomfortable. But edibles can be very effective. I will share with you that, you know, since I've been doing this now for quite some time, that It was unregulated. Now we're, you know, I'm in California where the new regulations have kicked in and the edibles are now all tested and they require in the state now that any piece of an edible, so you can buy 100 milligrams at most in one package and each piece has to be 10 milligrams or less, which makes it less likely to overdose. But the reality is, is that if you're brand new to cannabis, you probably shouldn't take more than 2.5 milligrams of an edible. So if the piece is 10, let's say it's a little gummy, that's 10 milligrams, you cut it into quarters. If it's a 5 milligram gummy, you should cut it in half or a piece of chocolate or whatever. Many of the companies now are making 2.5 milligram or 5 milligram uh, or 10 milligrams. So that way people can 
start very low and escalate. Now, if you start with a tincture, you can buy a tincture and take one milligram, very low dose, and that's how I start with pediatric patients. I do give THC to pediatric patients. Um, one thing I'll share with you, children with autism are do not make endo, the endocannabinoids the same way that the rest of us do. And this has now been proven from a study from Stanford and a study from Israel. Hmm. Well, if children with autism are missing a compound that your body is, makes in order to maintain balance, what happens? You're out of balance. So we know that children with autism have a lot of issues. So by replacing your endocannabinoid either with CBD, THC, or one of these other cannabinoid compounds that come from the plant, we can get balance going again. Hmm. But remember with children... And, and what, what does that do for them symptom-wise? Does it make them like more uh, well, personable or... Well, what it does, so this is what I can share with you is what the parents report to me. So, for instance, today I got an email from a parent who said the multiple meltdowns throughout the day have stopped. There are still meltdowns, but they're shorter and they're significantly less um, frequent. That's huge for a family, right? Mm -hmm. I've had parents report to me that the teacher in the classroom will come out and seek out the parent at pickup time. And go up to them and say, I need to know what's going on. Your child is completely different. And the parent, of course, may or may not want to share the information. But when you have somebody who doesn't know that your child's on cannabis, who says to you, wow, your child's paying attention, is not having meltdowns, is participating, is not aggressive, right? All is not self-injurious. Yeah. All of those things are... Signs that the brain is functioning a little bit better. Absolutely. I have some parents that tell me that their children are communicating, like parents say, they're more vocal, they're communicating better, they're putting words together. And of course, this is not one size fits all. It is not every child that does well. And I'll just report to you there's a recent uh, report out of Israel where they looked at 188 children between 2015 and 2017 who were using a 20 to 1 ratio CBD to THC. That means for every 20 milligrams of CBD, there was one milligram of THC. They looked at overall 80% plus of the patients, so something like 83%, I think it was, reported significant or moderate improvement. And at the end of like kind of the treatment time during the study, Mm-hmm. 83% of, or 82% of families chose to remain on wow. the cannabis. That tells you something, doesn't it? Yeah, sure does. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're not going to just play that way with your kid. Obviously, That's it's exactly making progress. Right. If it's not helping and it costs you out of pocket, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of my families will say it's too expensive to give if it's not going to work because we can use our money on other resources. And when you have a child with special needs or really, I mean, look, all of us that have kids know kids are expensive. Sure and are. so, you know, it would be nice to be able to um, spend your money on the things that work. And, you know, I have families that it has not worked for, but Many families have reported that it helped with autism. Same thing with epilepsy. It may reduce seizures, decrease um, the, the um, other medications that have a lot of side effects. I'm not the only one saying that. Neurologists know when they prescribe these seizure medications that they have lots of side effects. So, you know, anything natural 
that's going to be a little more gentle on your child certainly should be on the table. It should be an option for anybody who needs it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and there's, there's states where they can't get those options for kids, especially like with epilepsy. I mean, what happens with epilepsy is just the most obvious miracle of the drug for me because you have these kids who they have five, six, seven seizures a day, then they start taking marijuana and, and it stops. Yet they, they can't get help for kids, depending on the state, it's 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 right. really criminal. It's cruel. Um, but something else I want to I want to ask you about because we're a parenting show and and parents have their concerns. So every week, parents write in questions to me, and we answer a couple on the show. So I wanted to just read one parenting question, and this came from uh, Janet in Georgia, and she said that uh, I use marijuana sometimes recreationally. And she says, however, as a mom, I worry that legalizing it will normalize it and more kids will start doing it earlier. Do you think this is the case? So studies show that that is not the case because it is legalized in numerous states. And the studies show that actually cannabis use has gone down in teenagers. So that has not happened. Wow. But but this is the key. And this is really important. Education is the key. Mm-hmm. So I'm the mom of a soon-to-be 19-year-old, and Good I luck. started working in the cannabis field when he was eight. And we sat down and we had a conversation about not only cannabis, but other substances as well when he was eight, when he was nine, when he was 10, when he was 11. We talked about mm-hmm. it all the time. And this is what we know, and hopefully everybody listening can understand this. There are two times in your life where your brain is particularly vulnerable to external substances. One is when you are a fetus developing in the mother's womb. That mother should be very careful of what she puts in her body because it's going to affect the baby and affect the development of the baby. Right. right? Mm -hmm. The other time in your life when your brain is most vulnerable to external substances is during teenage years, ages 13 to 18. And the studies clearly show that chronic heavy use during this time of THC rich, remember, I'm not talking about CBD or the other cannabinoids. I'm talking about good old fashioned smoke and pot, which by the way, is much more potent now than it was back sure, in the day. Sure as hell okay. is. That is something that might trigger some issues for your child. And I say might because many people, do, it doesn't. But remember, too, when you're a teenager, if you're anxious and you smoke some pot and you kind of remember, gee, you know what? That kind of made me feel better. Teenagers have no judgment. Mm -hmm. So more is better. More everything, right? More video games, more French fries, more everything. No impulse control. Right. Exactly. No judgment yet. Well, they they say that. Yeah, they say the brain is not fully formed for humans until we're like 25 years old. Right. So you're bound to make some bad decisions. Yeah. During that time. A normal functioning endocannabinoid system during teenage years has been shown to be critical for laying down the last bits of your neurons, of your brain cells. Okay. And if you interfere with that, you may change the way that your brain lays down the neurons. For example, there are some studies that show that chronic heavy use of THC-rich cannabis during teenage years increases your risk of having anxiety as an adult. Now, of course, the chicken or the egg, were you chronic heavy using because you already had an anxiety disorder or did you cause it? But what I tell people is if your child is in general very well, 
which my teenager was, I just said to him, do me a favor and just wait until you're 18. Mm -hmm. Don't put anything to change your brain. Focus on school and sports and music, all the things that you love, and just put off the cannabis. I'm not saying don't use it. I'm saying just put it off until a little bit later in life so you don't mess up your good brain. Now, I'd like to just point out, though, that teenagers that have severe psychological illness, severe anxiety and depression to the point where it's interfering with life, that is a person who may have an endocannabinoid deficiency, just like the kids with autism, and actually would benefit from getting cannabis. So we have to absolutely separate recreational use from medical use, if you think your child is self-medicating, get help from a doctor so that you get your child on the right cannabis, not just THC. They should be on CBD, and they may benefit from some of the other cannabinoids, but it shouldn't just be THC only during the teenage years. Right. So I just point out that one, education is very appropriate. From Remember, kids are blank slate. Yeah, you sound, you you sound like you share the parenting philosophy that I, that I preach on this show. And it's that kids are, they're smarter than we give them credit for. And if you just tell them the truth most of the time and teach them and, and don't bullshit them, they're, they understanding and they respect you more when you, when you give it to them straight. So yeah, we've been talking to our kids about drugs since they were literally six years old. We teach them about, you know, everything, adult things and, and they, they grasp them, they understand them and they're good kids. And- Remember this too. There's a lot of things that you're not supposed to do when you're a child. You're not allowed to drive a car. You shouldn't be having sex, right? Right. You don't have uh, your own control of your finances and, you know, all this. There's a lot of things you wait until you're an adult, and there's mm-hmm. no reason that you can't tell your child that. This is an adult exactly. behavior. And I would prefer you wait until your brain is finished growing or at least mostly done so that. You don't have a problem when you're older. And I remember telling my son that when he was about eight, nine, ten years old. And he took it as because it was the truth. He said, okay, mom, I'll wait. It wasn't don't do it. Because remember, if you tell your kids don't do it. Oh, forget about it. Of course. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. um, One other concern because, you know, want to cover all the concerns. So when alcohol became legal, um, you know, when prohibition was overturned and companies, you know, spend billions of dollars advertising and marketing alcohol. They're really marketing to, like I said, it's said that 80% of all alcohol sales come from sales to the 10% of the heaviest drinkers amongst us. So that's who they're advertising to. They're trying to get the people, the addicts, they're advertising to the addicts. That's where the money is. The same with the cigarette companies. I'm wondering with the legalization, I mean, legalization of marijuana, it's coming. It's coming slowly, but it's coming. Within, within five, six, seven years, it'll probably be legal federally. You mean federally, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do, is there any concern that once it becomes a corporate thing and a, a mass consumer product uh, with a lot of money being thrown around, that some of these cigarette companies or alcohol companies might get in the game and try to do something to make it more addictive. Cause right now it's not a physically addictive thing, sure. but I'm sure they could, they could mess with it and do that. Right. Is that a concern? Well, so when you say physically addictive, it has been shown that THC specifically not CBD or the other cannabinoids 
that THC does have a withdrawal syndrome for the for some people who have chronic heavy use. Oh, yeah? So we could use the word dependence, although even from the government's own study, it's about eight or nine percent of chronic heavy users. And really what it is is this you just feel lousy when you stop because what happened is you messed with you kind of overdid, so your receptor status is a little bit out of balance. And okay. until that receptor, and we all know that abstinence won't kill you. It's harder to get off caffeine. I know because I've tried. Hmm. Um, it's um, it's much easier to get off cannabis because if you can't, if you don't have any, right? And you, let's say if I took it away from you, you might be cranky for two weeks. But what ends up happening is your receptor status goes right back into its own natural balance. So it's not the worst withdrawal. But there is, I want to be very clear, there is a withdrawal syndrome. It's usually, you know, irritability, some insomnia, some GI upset, gastric upset. But okay. most people get through it. See, but that's again, interesting to hear that because, I, I mean, yeah. I've been around marijuana a long time. I've not, I've not right. heard that before. Well, we don't, like, we don't use the word addiction. We use the word dependence because mm-hmm. it's more of a physiologic dependence because your receptors do get affected if you use too much THC. What ends up high, uh, happening is your and this has been shown very elegantly both in animal studies and in human studies, is that when you inundate those receptors with THC, what ends up happening is the receptor, which is sitting on the cell wall, wait, not waiting for THC, but waiting for an endocannabinoid, your own natural cannabis, what ends up happening if there's too much is those receptors pull inside the cell and hide. So that is why you have to escalate use, right? So we know this happens with opioid receptors as well. Also with the GABA receptors that respond to compounds that are called benzodiazepines like Xanax or Valium, Mm -hmm. right? So what happens is if you constantly stimulate those receptors, it's almost like a self-regulating mechanism where those receptors down-regulate, they go away. But if you abstain from cannabis, the the receptors kind of get the all-clear message and pop out. That's why we tell people if you see your... THC use escalating your, it means you're downregulating the number of receptors you have available, and what you should do is take an abstinence break. Just hmm. take a break from it for a few days, and those receptors so, will pop out. That's like any other substance; you build a tolerance. It you can build a tolerance. Yeah, to but THC. I mean, you do that to right. you do that with caffeine, you do that with cigarettes, you do that with everything. So yeah, you can yeah. do it with a lot of things. You don't do it with CBD, though. It appears there's no, no. tolerance with CBD because it doesn't work at the receptor the same way. And that's where the science comes in. But mm. going back to your question, remind me what your question was before I got into that. Well, I, I, I wanted to know if, if there's any fear that these oh, corporations right, yeah. might start tinkering sure. with the products. Well, look, the rea- right now in states that have regulations, you can always go to the batch number on a product you buy, either th- go to the lab where it was tested or to the... Um, Um, company that makes it and say, I want to see exactly what's in this, right? And Mm -hmm. so I understand what you're talking about. I don't think that anybody wants anything added to it to be addictive. Is it something that they might do? Sure. What I'm more concerned about is that companies are going to want to patent their genetics of the plant and they're going to say, oh, we own this similar to what Monsanto does Mm. with some of their um, agriculture jam, products, mm-hmm. right? And they're so now mom and pop growers, cultivators of cannabis who often grow some of the best, most robust, clean, pesticide free, solvent free, and so on, um, may get squeezed out or may get hit with a lawsuit saying, hey, your genetics matches our big company genetics and you can't have that because we patented it. 
Yeah, and that's already happening in some states where, you know, like Pennsylvania, where they only give uh, five grower license in the whole state. So they're already kind of squeezing out the little man. That's exactly right. And that's the, to me, that's the bigger problem. There is a website, I think it's um, like Wikipedia, it's called Canopedia, where people can register their, um, their strains so that it's published. And so once it's out there in the public, it can't be patented, I guess. And so there is some interest by some people who are in the industry to kind of uh, get rid of that ability to turn it all into IP, right, mm-hmm. and or into patented. And so, um, yeah, it's going to be real interesting as it gets bigger and bigger, but they're predicting multi-billion dollar industries. So we do know that big companies are going to get into it. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I mean, we're, we're almost out of town. I, I just had a, one more question. Uh, what, what's the paranoia all about? <laughs> yeah, so that can be either dose-related or strain-related, and that's usually THC. So remember, your cannabinoid receptors are densely located in your emotional mood center in, in the areas of your brain that control mood and, and emotion. And sometimes if you kind of over-trigger the receptor, instead of getting an anti-anxiety effect, which many people report with cannabis, you can get a pro paranoia, pro-anxiety effect, meaning too much. And so it's important to understand that the compounds in cannabis are what we call biphasic or bidirectional, which means they can have opposite ends of the spectrum. So usually for people, low-dose THC in a proper low dose for their particular chemistry can be very anti-anxiety, but if you take too much, it can trigger paranoia and anxiety. Hmm. What's interesting, CBD is... So it's balance again. Yeah, it's balance. It's don't take too much. Or some patients, it's a particular strain. And what I mean about strain is that if you make chili using your recipe and I make chili using my recipe, they're both chili, but they may have different ingredients, right? Mm -hmm. So strains may all have the same like 25% THC or 20% THC. We would call that a THC-rich strain. But the other compounds in that strain, making up like the ingredients of that differ. And the biggest difference is in what we call the terpenes, the essential oils that are in the plant. For some people, certain of these terpenes, these essential oils, just don't suit their chemistry. It's like, you know, like I don't eat green peppers. They kind of, I like them. I'm not allergic to them. They're lovely little vegetables, but they kind of make me sick. They don't fit with my chemistry. Sure. So for some people who say, oh, I get paranoid from cannabis, I would ask them what strain are they using? And obviously that's going to be an issue. What dose are they using? But what we know is if you include some reasonable amount of CBD with the THC, the CBD works at the receptor, receptor to block the ability for THC to make you paranoid or anxious. So the combination can be very nice for people who have had a bad experience with THC. Awesome. Okay. Good information. Um, that, was, that was a fascinating conversation. I, I learned a lot, and I've, like I said, been around marijuana for 20, 30 years here. So uh, thank you for your time. Where, uh, where can our fans check you out if they, if they wanted to get an appointment? So um, I'm only taking children at this point, and I'm a little bit booked, but if somebody's interested, they can go to my website, Canna, C-A-N-N-A hyphen centers, C-E-N-T-E-R-S dot com, cannacenters.com. 
And also there's a book out that I've written. It's on available on Amazon. It's called Cannabis Revealed. Oh, and it's a really nice book that just goes over the plant, the cannabinoids. It also educates you on the endocannabinoid system. There's a chapter on how to use cannabis as medicine. And then there's 28 different ailments that I talk about. And there's also wonderfully scattered throughout the book testimonials by patients who have had good results. Great. Great. Check it out, people. Thank you so much, doctor. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. All right. You have a good night. You too. Bye-bye. We'll be back with more on The Dad Presents after these words. Yo, B. What's happening? You notice how chill and sexy I'm looking right now? Uh, No comment on that. Well, you you notice. Don't pretend you didn't notice. Mm, Quite the opposite, (laughs) but what are you getting at? You want to know why I'm looking so chill and so sexy right now? Please stop talking and just tell me what what you're (laughs) It's me undies. I'm feeling good. I'm wearing me undies. I feel good. And when you feel good, you look good. Are we really talking about your underwear right now? I'm talking about my underwear. I don't want to talk about your underwear. Me undies are the best underwear you can get out there. And our listeners, we got a code for you. If you want some me undies, if you want to feel fresh, if you want to look good, go to meundies.com. Use the code word friend. Buy 20 for 20% off. That's a bargain at any price. So you, you said these are the best underwear you can get? Look at me right now. I don't want to. Look at me. Okay, I'll take your word for it. Go to me undies. <laughs> do what he said with the code. Get them. They're great underwear. That's all I'm going to say about My it. My nuts are so tight. I, I, you took it too far. And we're back, everybody. Another s- superb. He's like, I always look, look for new words. Superb interview by Jay Maddie. Who always oh, gets so the core sweet. of the issue. Oh, well. Thank you, yeah. baby. Oh, anytime, sweetums. Snookums. <laughs> We're going to do one quick topic uh, because of the interview and everything. We want to give you guys a nice, compact dose of The Dad Presents. Um, this story is sort of interesting. Um, you, know the, you know the gender reveal parties, right? Yeah. Okay, so Silly. yeah. You, They're out of you, control. Yeah, you pop a balloon, it's a girl, it's green, or what is it, pink, it's blue, it was a boy, and everyone, you know, sure, rejoices. Sure, nice and simple, but there's some of these on the internet that are just out of control, man. People spending thousands of dollars on these things. Yeah, well, the lady that founded it now questions whether the, she created a monster. And what I mean by that is, she, she now did. thinks that, <laughs> yeah, she did, but not in the way you think. She thinks that now she put too much pressure on kids to identify with a certain sex in this age of, you know, cisgender. When, when they're, in uter- they're in utero, they're feeling too much pressure to identify? <laughs> There's too much pressure for are them we, to live up to those standards. Is that, you wow. know, I guess she thinks that in years in the future, they'll look back at the gender reveal pictures, and if Amy is now wearing a crew cut and roll-up jeans, then mm-hmm. it was j- just too much. Yep. So, thoughts? We're... We're living in a simulation, man. This shit is just getting too bizarre to be real. There's just, I mean, it's it's a party. A balloon goes off, and that's that's now going to scar a kid fifteen years later when he goes back and watches it on YouTube. Yeah, that's that's her point. Well, man. I think she's. I, I think she actually accidentally created a, a. I think a good thing in thought. I think when you have kids, and everyone who's listening to this probably has kids, otherwise you wouldn't be listening. But when you have kids, you're marking everything because it's a memory of the best time of your life. And you want to know when the first, uh, I don't know, uh, ultrasound was taken. And then you want to know when it's a boy or a girl. And those moments, and you want to hold on to that. And there's nothing selfish about that as parents. Now, 
what she's concerned about is the kid, you know, identifying or not identifying. That's not their thing. This is for me and my wife to celebrate. This has nothing to do with whatever comes out of her. They could then decide later on in their life if they want to have a gender reveal party or whatever. But I think people are overthinking it. Um, the young lady's name is Jenna, and her, she has a very hard last name, Carvinitas, I think Don't it bother. is. Jenna, yeah. Jenna, grow up. Yeah. That's my and advice she says, to Jenna. Grow up. Yeah. We're, it's, it's just getting ridiculous. And I think most people agree with that now. Like for, for a while, people were on board with all this stuff. But it's just getting out of control. It's like, have you watched the Chappelle special yet? Oh, God, it was hilarious. Hilarious. Hilarious, hilarious. comedy special from one of the funniest comedians of our generation. Terrific. Mm-hmm. He's been getting freaking killed. But, oh, but the sure. funny thing is, Chappelle's a black man, and he's a liberal. So mm-hmm. if, he was, if he was a white guy, let's say he was Bill Burr making those same jokes, they'd uh, be, be crushing him, calling him a racist, calling him a homophobe, mm-hmm. calling him all that stuff. Well, they can't do that to Dave Chappelle because he's a black guy and he's liberal. So yeah. they're going with the transphobic. It's mm-hmm. like they just they, – these people don't have a sense of humor. They, they can't laugh at anything. They can't enjoy themselves. A parent can't just enjoy a moment and celebrate, oh, we're having a baby boy, we're having a baby – like, it's like they want to suck all the fun out of the world. And I think yeah. most people are, are sick of it. Like, when we start, really, it, since we started this podcast, I think the tone has changed. Because when mm-hmm. we were saying these kind of things a year ago, I think a good portion of the, the population was siding with that other point of view, with that, with that liberal point of view, right? Um, mm-hmm. And I think a, a large reason for that was people hate Trump so much. But now yeah. I think people are starting to hate these social justice warriors almost as much as they hate Trump. It's just a lot of hate going around. <laughs> no, I agree with that. I think there's hate on both sides. But I, like I said, I think th- this is your memory. And, you, and the thing is, is you're having, I mean, the huge thing of parenthood, and people who've had kids all know what that is. It's, it's a huge thing. You're, you're, all these moments, your wife tells you she's pregnant. It's huge. You can't think about anything else. You're now trying to figure out when the baby's going to get here. You're now thinking about how much money do we have to have to have this baby. All of these things are memories in your life that you have a right to. And mm-hmm. among those thoughts, I, I would maybe I'm wrong, but the majority of people are not sitting there thinking right after the wife tells me I'm pregnant, oh, God, is it going to be cisgendered or, or binary or whatever? You're thinking yeah. about the greatest moment in time of your, you and your wife's life. And that's it. Right. And if you want to commemorate mm-hmm. it with the, uh, you know, uh, by bursting a pink balloon, do that shit. And you shouldn't feel guilty about it. And no. like I said, if if the kid comes out and it's not heterosexual, it doesn't mean that doesn't mean like if the kid turns fifteen and you had a boy and now this kid decides his name's Sally, doesn't mean you're not going to accept him and and, sure. and love her and and accept her the way she feels. You know, it just means at the time when you went and got the ultrasound. That little fetus had a little dick on it. Maybe. And yeah. the thing is, there's nothing that bars people from having a second gender reveal party, if it's that serious. <laughs> hey, we thought you were a girl, and now here's gender reveal part two. She's now a boy named Sam who go, uses the pronouns you know it and you know the. What? I'm laughing. That's, that's probably coming down the pipeline. Oh, it's no, it, 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 you, there's no doubt. It's already happened, probably. <laughs> You, if mean, you YouTube it right now, someone has had a second well, gender mean, reveal party. Probably. Part two. I mean, there's there's a website now where where uh, 
women are marrying themselves. So, well, you know, why the hell not? I'd like to see that honeymoon. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Yeah. Well, it's a it's a different sort of format for you today, folks. We had to put Maddie's super duper interview in the middle of it and hope you guys enjoyed all of it. Um, Jay Maddie, tell them where to reach us on those social media platforms. All right, guys, we've, we've been we've been growing in size. I want to thank you all. Give you all a shout out. You've been spreading That's the word. Mm-hmm. Um, please go to iTunes. If you're listening to us, listen from iTunes. Help us out there. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Dad Presents. And uh, please check out Dr. Bonnie Goldstein's book. You're going to like it. Awesome. And thank you, Dr. Bonnie. So until next time, folks, take care of your kids. Take care of yourself. Take care of your family. We'll see you soon. Thanks. Peace.